This morning's message is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things and parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, last week uh, we had Zen Master Robert Kennedy was here, and uh, he talked about living life like we meant it. He spoke about Stan Getz never playing a note that he didn't mean. And I read that poem uh, from Mary Oliver about not wasting our wild and precious life. But the whole idea of living like that is is often easier said than done. You know, who doesn't want to live every moment of their lives like they're meant it? Who wants to live anything but a life that rings true to us and everyone around us that witnesses us? We just want to be witnessed as we are, our true selves. And yet, you know, like that famous reading that, that Bruce read today, you know, we all get led astray in our lives. We find ourselves on stony ground, living without nourishment, the nourishment that we need. And so we turn away from who we are. And we just find nourishment wherever we can. We turn to places where we feel we might get some relief. Drink sex, shopping, wherever we can find it, we take what we can. And, and that turns us into something else, into someone else. It takes us away from the true nature of who we are. And we then become defined by our needs. We sacrifice our true nature on the altar of our needs. And that takes us off course and and makes us a different person. We drink more, we become more dependent on those things that we use to prop us up. And before we know it, you know, we feel like Israel in the New Testament, detestable in the sight of the Lord, not the beautiful child of God that all of us are actually in reality. And then, you know, there's the case where the seed fell among thorns when Situations overcome us. 
abusive parents, difficult, deprived childhoods. Whatever it is, we have to duck and hide from the thorns so they don't hurt us. And that goes right the way through our lives. We become hurt and we try to avoid being hurt. We do what the Marines do. We improvise, adapt and overcome. But once again, you know, that makes us a different person. We've had to grow in ways that we were not meant to grow in in order to overcome the difficulties we face. We become hybrid people. We become people who have grown through the pain that we've had. And we see it all around us. You know, we see people like that. We see them in the faces of people in prisons. You know, the faces of people who are hurt and angry around us. I went up, took Robert Kennedy up to the monastery last week uh, to meet the brothers. And Father Joseph was telling us a vision of heaven that uh, he'd read about. And it really rang true for him. In his vision of heaven, it was the one he read, everyone was there. And everyone was accepted by everybody else because you could see their history. You could see what had made them. You could understand what had happened to them and why they'd become the people that they'd become. We all of us have become the people we are because of the hurts that we've faced and because often we've not felt nourished. And then there are those who simply grow up ignorant of who they are or who they could be because there's been no one in their lives to show them. You know, they grew among weeds and became choked by those weeds, suffocated by the inability to see what was possible for them in their lives. And although they weren't weeds themselves, they mistook themselves for weeds. And so others also mistook them, and they lived a life that was, again, not true to them. They became gang members or associated with people that they thought as family but in reality, we're nothing like them. And then we know also those vulnerable people, like the seeds sown on the path, who were just picked off by others, like birds picking up the seed. Not having a chance, they get devoured, trafficked, enslaved, used and abused. Never a chance that they're true self can, can shine through. And then there are those who grow on fertile soil, their environment allowing them to grow and prosper. And yet even those, you know, and we know them, you know, even those you know, who've been to Ivy League schools, they, sometimes people end up without nourishment there for whatever reason. They find themselves on a stone or among thorns. Those who've led charmed lives, and we know them, still come to grief. And we find those problems in our everyday lives. You know, we get distracted. We feel undervalued. Bits of our lives crumble and leave us vulnerable. And that means we take shortcuts. We find those things that will prop us up. We become hard to others. We overcompensate for the pain that we suffer. I put that picture on the, the service sheet to the, 
picture of Dorian Gray, because I think it's almost the reverse, you know. We are those tattered people out there. And, and in fact, there's this a portrait of us, the reverse of Dorian Gray, a portrait of, of the child of God that we truly are. And yet, sometimes we present ourselves in this, in this haggard way. And the big question really is, you know, how do we stay true to who we were meant to be? How do we not get distracted? And even if we are distracted, and even if we do have worries, and even if things come our way that are, that are, are really difficult, how do we not become at the effect of that? And how do we enable ourselves to present ourselves in a way that, in a sense, blesses those around us? How do we come from that nature of who we truly are, even if we don't feel it? There's that wonderful quote I've used before, and I don't apologize because it's just so wonderful from Thomas Merton. And, and it really, for me, sums up that true nature of, of who we are. Merton says, God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall find myself. I shall be saved. And to me, that's what it is to be truly yourself. It's not to be true to the person that you think you are, or the person that you think you could be, or even the person that others think that you are, or could be. But it's to be true to yourself is to be true to the potential that God uttered in you. To be true to something, if you're true to something, you are consistent with it. And in this sense, to be true to your ultimate self is to be consistent with the concept that God utters in you. And each of us, God utters a different concept in each of us. In no one person is it the same. Each of us has our own sense of what God is uttering in us. We all have different challenges. We all have different ways that we live. Each of us has a different thing. But how do we manifest that? It's always so tempting to get distracted. You know, to use the old parlance, we're led astray. Not necessarily by anybody, but simply by our own desire. Let's face it, just to have ourselves feel better. To reduce the anxiety. You know, to salve the pain. To escape the boredom. At those moments, we choose to do things that make us different people. I love that quote from Gandhi who said, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. And your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. So once again, it starts, that direction starts with our thoughts. If we're conscious, if we know that these things happen, 
we know that we end up doing things that make us less. We become engulfed by situations and circumstances that end up with us presenting ourselves to the world as not our true selves, but as our expedient selves. The self we become in order just to get by. And then there's all the stuff that people think about us, or what we think they think about us. When we operate to that, it takes us away from who we really are. And instead we become who we think we ought to be rather than who we think people think we ought to be, we just get totally confused. We end up behaving as it's described in the general confession, which we don't often use in the Aspen Chapel. We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and we have done those things that we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. You know, we end up like that. But we always have a chance not to go down that route. And every moment we have the opportunity of not being less than. Because it's never too late to become the person you might have been. It's never too late to become that child of God. It's never too late to become the person you might have been. And it all starts with our thoughts. It all starts with being aware. That lovely quote from Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Which is, you know, why the idea of mindfulness is so important. Being aware of what we're thinking so that we can choose whether to go with those thoughts at the moment. You know, Jesus referred to the scribes and Pharisees as whited sepulchres. Woe to you, teachers of the law, that's me, and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. They presented, those Pharisees, one thing on the outside, but inside there was death, a whole other game going on, like the picture, the Dorian Gray picture. And that's what we end up doing, being one person on the outside and another on the inside. And we know that. As we wander about our lives, we know that we present that. Where you're true to yourself, the two are congruent, like these flowers. There's a congruence between the two. Where you're true to yourself, those two things are congruent. You know, that, that lovely phrase from the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That stillness enables us to connect with our true selves. We're we're asked to be still in our minds and not affected by the chaos that goes on around us. And really, that is how we begin. To be true to the concept God utters in me and true to the thought of him I was meant to embody. To be true to that. It's not being true to the person you think you should be. If only you could have got your way, then you would be able to be true to yourself. No, it's to be true to the concept that actually God is uttering in you. At every moment, we have the chance to remake ourselves as our true selves by not operating from our minds, by operating from that which is beyond the mind, 
we've talked about the mind of Christ, the universal mind, the wisdom that's beyond our comprehension. And to reach that wisdom, we have to stop, as I was saying earlier on, and drop down into our hearts. Robert Kennedy talked about Zen last week. And that is really simply going beyond our rational mind to that eternal mind. Which is why we encourage your spiritual practice. It is about practicing stopping being at the effect of our minds and dropping into our hearts. And to do that, you really have to be conscious of the way that your thoughts are leading you. And you have to stop yourself. You know, stop yourself looking at that tweet or that website that's unhelpful. Stop yourself snapping back at somebody. Stop yourself complaining. Stop yourself blaming or judging or attacking. And, and it is within our power to do that. That quote again from Viktor Frankl, between, between stimulus and response, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In that space, between stimulus and response, is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom, our becoming, our true nature. And to do that, we have to be able to discipline the mind. Not to be at the effect of what's going on, not to be at the effect of our illness, not to be at the effect of what's going on of those around us, but just to be still. Now, you know, I really don't care how we do it, so long as it gets done. Because otherwise, effectively, we are out of control. We're, we're, being, we're making ourselves into different people. Because then our mind is in control, and that leads to all sorts of chaos. Just look at international politics. The mind running rampant all over the place. That seed of a thought that Merton talks about, the thought that God utters in me, in all of us, is the most precious thing. And we have to guard it and we have to nurture it. Guard it from being plucked by birds. Guard it from being starved by lack of nourishment, from being harmed by thorns, from being choked by weeds. If we nurture it, it will yield 100-fold, which is another way of saying that we will be living in the kingdom of heaven. I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. I shall find myself. I shall be saved. Which, let's face it, is really what we all want. I mean, this actually is what every human being wants, is to find themselves living in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what it means to live to your true self. You become a different person, and therefore it is at the root of personal transformation. Someone asked me the other day what, what the mission of the chapel was. You know, not the long version that's on all the websites and all the printed materials, you know, but the one I held in my heart. You know, what, what, are, what are you operating from? And really, you know, for me, it comes down to this. Rob's listening intently over there, thinking that the chairman of our board. What's he going to come up with? For me, we are a community committed to personal transformation through practice. That's what it's about for me. We are a community committed to personal transformation through practice. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what that practice is. It could be Vipassana meditation on a Wednesday. It could be, you know, the Bali priestess blessing. It could be, it doesn't really matter what it is. It could be meditate, Zen meditation. It could be 
doing the rosary. It doesn't matter. It is a commitment to personal transformation through practice. It is all about us being the change that we want to see in the world. And, you know, unless we can model that in our relationships, in our lives, here, amongst ourselves, you know, we might as well pack up and go home. Because otherwise I'm just shooting the breeze. Yeah, unless we can actually model it, you know, that we are community, that we hold these things in common, that we support each other, that we are committed to personal transformation of not being what our minds tell us to be, but rather to become true to the word that God, is in e- God utters in each of us. And in so doing, we allow ourselves to be changed. That's how it works. We allow ourselves to be changed. And we do that through practice. We practice going beyond our minds. And whether that be in meditation or walking in the mountains or sailing or skiing or modeling clay, it is only through practice that we make it real. Only through practice that we can be our true selves. Only through practice that we can be true to the concept that God utters in us. Again, I was talking to Robert last week and saying, you know, they always say that, you know, one... Uh, you know, a preacher has one sermon that he preaches all the time. And really, my sermon is practice, practice, practice. And is. You know, that's the message, you know, and I'm, and I'm banging that drum again. And if you don't have a regular practice, you know, give me a ring, come see me and start one. And, you know, I'll help you with it. And, or, or come to the Monday morning meditation. You know, start a practice like that. It, it's really what, enables you to make that transformation. So we've come to a point of working towards our true selves. But, you know, what does that bring us? You know, what, what does it bring you when you, work, when, you, when you operate your true selves? Now, the traditional answer for the spiritual, it brings you insights, it brings you knowledge, it brings you experience. But in my view, those are secondary benefits. They may come or they may not. But true practice of becoming your true self brings open-heartedness. That is the true benefit of it. It is open-heartedness. When you begin to practice, your heart begins to open. And with that may come insight and knowledge and experience. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it is to open our hearts, what happens when we do it, and how that affects our lives. And you'll be pleased to hear, that's the end. (laughs) Good. So let's just uh, open our hearts now and just um, give our hearts in, in prayer, be present to our lives and the world that's around us. And we do seem to live in such a beautiful environment here. We give thanks for all that we have. And and yet as we look out into the world, we do see a lot of trouble. But with that trouble, we do see so much good in the world. And we just give thanks for that. We give thanks for the millions of people helping each other, of loving each other, of doing their best to make the lives of those around them a better place. And we give ourselves to that. And we give ourselves to those people that aren't able to make that, those people 
even now suffering from fires and flood. Floods in India, fires in California, all over the world. People losing their homes, livelihoods, children. May we give ourselves to that as our true selves. May we, may we give what we can. Pray for those who are living in injustice and a dominating authority, squashed in war zones, powerless. We give ourselves to them and we pray for a sense of peace in their lives and a sense of their lives being able to move forward. We pray for those in prisons, homeless, poor, helpless, and we give ourselves to them. Finally, we give ourselves to those amongst us in this community who we know are suffering at the moment. We particularly pray for Father Joseph Boyle, having radiotherapy and chemotherapy again, for Patricia Hill, for Martha Martin, for Sophie Layton, and Sole Unta Enher. And we just especially open our hearts to those that we know who are ill or suffering at the moment, people whose names aren't on this list. And we remember them in our hearts now. Lord, we ask you to send your healing power and love to those people. May we, as children of God, being our true selves, be willing to give what we can to them through our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.